Good evening. It is a blessing to be back at Focal Point, and I do echo the sentiments of all of the speakers when I say it is even greater this year with what has happened in the past year, 18 months or so, and we are glad to be with you. I'm glad Brittany was able to come and be with me this time, and we appreciate the church here at University, Wayne and his family, and all that they do, and the elders for continuing to put this program on. And so we're glad for everyone's presence tonight, and we're especially glad to be back at Focal Point again. The Old Testament tells us that Jesus is coming. As you read the Old Testament, it comes across pretty plainly that there's a Messiah, there's a Savior, there's someone coming. The Old Testament tells us where he'll be born. Micah 5 and verse 2 says, In Bethlehem of Ephrathah, he'll be born. He's from everlasting, and he's coming to the earth. Hosea 11 and verse 1 says, Out of Egypt I've called my son. It speaks about some of the things that would take place as he was born in his adolescent years. Jeremiah gets down to detail and says that as he's born, there'll be infants slaughtered. Jeremiah 31 and verse 15, there'll be this weeping and this outcry. He'll be a descendant of David. 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16, not only a descendant of David, but he'd occupy the throne that was David's in a unique way in his dominion. And his kingdom would be that which would be everlasting. The Old Testament says Jesus is coming. More than that, it speaks of the signs that he would perform, the things that he would do, and the things that he did. And finally, you open up the pages of the New Testament, and not only did he come, but he came in the exact way that the Old Testament prophets said that he would. And to our surprise, though we are furnished with prophecy after prophecy and detail after detail, when he came, not only was he rejected, not only was he maligned, but Jesus was misunderstood. Herod thought that his earthly throne was in jeopardy. And we've got to do something about this king of the Jews that would be born. He misunderstood. And in the mind of the Jews, finally our Savior has come to rescue us and he would help us to overthrow the Romans. The Gentiles, by and large, were disinterested or not really aware of his coming at all. And so Jesus' coming affects them in no specific way. The Bible says Jesus is coming. The Messiah is on the way. And when he arrives, for the most part, the world just shrugs their shoulders. Today we have both the Old and the New Testament. And so we can read the Bible, and not only did the Old Testament say that he was coming, but the New Testament tells us that he came, and yet today people are still misunderstood, or they still misunderstand why it is that he came at all. Sometimes people have varying ideas, just like the Jews in the first century, about why the Savior actually came to earth, and we still have some of those ideas with us today. Some people think Jesus merely came to die for our sins. And while that's true and while that's important, surely there must be more to it than that because if that were the case, then he could have died 24 hours after he came out of the womb. But 30 plus years of life, surely there's more to his ministry than merely dying for our sins. And others say, well, Jesus came to feed the hungry, to help people, and to sort of father some social justice movement. And Jesus' entry into the world, he does make the world a better place, and he does seek to change people's circumstances. But there's far more to him than even that. And others disinterested with his religious bent altogether say, you know, he gives us some great life hacks and teaches us how to live and gives us some great things philosophically. And that's about where they stop with Jesus. And while Jesus does say and teach things that enrich the lives of those that embody those teachings, he came for more than just practical life hacks. He came for more than that. 
It seems that just as was true in the first century today, several and many different groups and pockets of people would like to hijack Jesus for their own purposes and say, Jesus came to do this. No, Jesus came for this reason. No, Jesus came for this one. And what if there were passages in the Bible? What if there were passages that you and I could turn to where Jesus just speaks for himself, where Jesus says, this is why I came to earth. This is what I came to accomplish and what I came to do. And the good news is we have those passages. And Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, not only those gospels in their totality, but there are actually direct statements that emerge from the gospel accounts on the pages of Scripture where Jesus says on several accounts, this is why I came to earth. This is what I came to do. And this lesson won't be exhaustive. Maybe you can find more than these, but tonight I briefly want to walk through five of the times in Scripture where we actually read from the lips of the Savior himself as he answers the question of the song we've been singing for decades, maybe even centuries now, why did my Savior come to earth? It's not only important that we see this from Jesus' perspective. It's important that we as Christians appreciate why he came. But intertwined with Jesus' coming to earth, we also find a reason for why we're here. Because as we read the passages and unpack the message that Jesus delivers about the reason for his arrival, we'll see why we're here. We're not just saved from the world. The New Testament says we're saved for the world. And when we see why Jesus came tonight, we'll appreciate what he wants from us as his disciples. So let's begin. Turn your Bible to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Number one tonight, Jesus came to preach the gospel. Jesus came to preach the gospel. Why did my Savior come to earth? Reason number one is to preach the gospel. The text tells us in Mark 1, 14 and 15 that Jesus begins preaching in and around Galilee. Verse 15, he came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And as his fame and popularity grew in and around Capernaum, people began to seek Jesus out. They began to desire his company and for him to try to stay in the areas where he would be of most benefit to them. But would you look at Mark chapter 1 and verse 38? As Peter approaches him and tells him these things, Jesus says, let us go from here to the next towns that I might preach there also. For this reason, underline this, for this reason came I forth. Jesus says, one of the reasons why I came was so that I could preach in other places. And Luke's account of this, in Luke chapter 4 and verse 43, Jesus says, for this cause was I sent. Jesus came so that he might communicate the truth and so that he might preach the good news, preach the gospel to people that really needed to hear it. This is what his life was all about in a nutshell. Jesus was a preacher, a communicator of truth, so that other people might know the message from God. He not only was that message as the Logos from God, he proclaimed it. Jesus starts early on. In Luke chapter 2, we read in verses 46 and 47, when he's 12 years old, he's sitting amongst the scribes and the doctors of the law, and they're astounded as he both hears and utters questions for them that they just can't wrap their heads around. The first time we read of Jesus as an adult in the synagogue in Luke chapter 4, Luke tells us in verses 16 through 21, Jesus is in the synagogue. He finds the Old Testament scroll, Isaiah. He knew the Bible well enough to put his finger right on Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. And he says, this passage is about me. And it comes to say that Jesus was anointed by God to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, to preach liberty and freedom to the captive and the brokenhearted, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he hands the scroll back to the attendant and he says, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Jesus came to preach so that people might know the message that God wants to declare to the world. There's this 
famous or pretty popular saying about Jesus. God had one son, and he was a what? And he was a preacher. But we might amend that just a little bit and say that God had one son, and he was the preacher because he was the best to ever do it. Jesus said he came forth to preach the gospel, and that's exactly what he did. We only get to read the sermons, and we're privileged to do that, but can you imagine hearing them for the first time? Mark tells us in chapter 2 and verse 2, when he preached, there was standing room only. They packed the house. There wasn't room even about the doors, and he preached the word to them. The Pharisees sent guards on one occasion to apprehend him as they were tired of his preaching, his miracles, and his signs. The guards came back empty-handed, and the Pharisees say, why haven't you brought him? And they respond in John 7, 46, never has a man spoken like this man. They had heard preaching before. They had heard rabbis and scribes, but they never heard anybody like Jesus. At the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, their mouths were agape as they heard him preach, and they were astonished at his doctrine because he taught as one that had authority. He didn't preach like their scribes. In his own hometown in Nazareth, when he preached in the synagogue, Matthew 13, 54, they said, where did this man get this wisdom? And on another occasion, they said, wait, where did he get this knowledge, having never learned letters? Or he's never been to our schools, but he's taken us to school. They couldn't believe it. But Jesus came to preach. Why did our Savior come to earth? He came to preach and herald the message from God. In May of 1999, a man named John Sospensky came up with one of the greatest tools known to modern college students everywhere. It was the RateMyProfessor.com website. It's now used in the United States, Canada, and the United Kingdom. College students everywhere. Look up professors and see their ratings, their rankings. It is to say, do I take this class or not? Does he give homework? Is he a good communicator? Is he a good teacher? And the professors are ranked, and students can look and see, do I really want to be in this professor's class? And what every professor desires is to get five stars on Rate My Professor. They want other people to evaluate them in a positive light. In the first century, there was no RateMyRabbi.com, but if there was, Jesus would rank number one. Luke says they stood and watched and listened as the gracious words fell from his lips. And everything Jesus said wasn't always received and welcomed by everybody. Jesus had hard things to say. Sometimes he would preach and they would be impressed, but other times he would preach and they would be offended. And they would say, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And they would turn away from him. He preached with parables. He opened and explained and exegeted the Old Testament so that the people that were listening, that they could walk away realizing the Old Testament said things that it has always said, but they understood it in a way that they never had before. Their lives were changed and challenged. And so it says to you and to me, as we read these sermons, it shouldn't just bring a smile to our face, but it should raise an eyebrow as we search our hearts and find ourselves in the parables and in the sermons and see, is my life meeting up to the standard that God has given? Because Jesus makes people uncomfortable when he preaches, and he challenges us to change our lives. Sometimes you see people doing something, or you hear about a person doing something, and the response may very well be, this person was born to do this. When you see Michael Jordan shoot a basketball, you just say, he was born to do it. When Serena Williams wields a tennis racket, you say, she just was born to do that. If you read Einstein's discussion on physics or if you see Vincent van Gogh wave a paintbrush, you just look at their lives and the ease with which the ability comes to them. It seems as if this is just what they were meant to do. And when Jesus preached, Mark 138 says, this is the reason why I came forth. Now, for you and for me, this is the challenge. Jesus came preaching the gospel, but then he hands off the baton to Christians. 
And he says, you go and do likewise. Preach the gospel to every creature, Mark 16 and verse 15. And we read in the, the book of Acts early on, the early Christians did not defy him, do we? Jesus came to herald a message to change the world. And then he died, and once he rose and ascended, he says, now, Christians, you've seen the pattern and mold of my life. I want you to pick up where I left off and take the gospel to everyone. There was no mistake why Jesus was here, what he was trying to accomplish with his preaching and teaching. But what about us? Our Savior came to earth to preach the gospel. It is good news. People need to hear that message, and he preached it and communicated it in such a way that people wanted to be a part of their lives. Now, here's number two. Number two, why did my Savior come to earth to seek and to save the lost? Turn your Bible to Luke 19. In Luke 19, we find another one of these, which you might call purpose statements from Jesus, where Jesus just tells us why he came. He meets a man, Zacchaeus, in Luke 19, and he says, I'm going to come to your house today, and he does. And Zacchaeus makes a statement of penitence in verse 8, where he says, if he's cheated anybody, he restores fourfold. The half of his goods he gives to the poor. And Jesus remarks in verse 9 that, this day salvation has come to this house, for he also is a son of Israel. Verse 10, famous, well-known, but appreciate this is another purpose statement from Jesus. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came in order to seek and to save individuals that were lost, that were in need of his salvation. And that's why he came to earth. His enemies and his accusers didn't always appreciate this, and so they often maligned him. They often wrongfully accused him of being a person that accepted unrighteousness and sin. They would say things like, your master receives sinners and he eats with them. Or he's a friend of tax collectors and publicans. And of course, their misunderstanding was driven by the fact that they didn't appreciate why he came. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, which would necessitate that he spent time around individuals that were. He would need to be around individuals that needed a Savior because Jesus came for the purpose of saving people. Throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we read of Jesus being mission-minded. Jesus was constantly on the move, and the reason why was because he was trying to connect with individuals that desperately needed him. Most people would stay away from tax collectors. Most people would stay away from Zacchaeus, but Jesus was drawn to him in hopes that he might be able to say something, do something to change this man's life. When we appreciate this second point of why Jesus came to earth, it makes sense of so much of what we read about him doing. He was often looking for the most dejected, the most downtrodden, the most discouraged, people that just thought they could just be pushed over the cliff. They had very little reason to live or to care. Everybody in and around their communities had overlooked them or had written them off. Jesus says, you are the kinds of people I've come to save. You're the kind of people that I've come to work with and to help and to encourage. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 20, we have this prophetic statement that Jesus makes quoting the Old Testament about why he came, and it gives us some insight into the kind of person that Jesus was as he was on the earth, where he says, a smoking reed he will not break, and a broken flax he will not quench. That is, Jesus was gentle with individuals that might be discouraged, that might give up, that might be weakened. Jesus says, I've come to help you individuals. Come to know me and to know life. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. It's why he's having a discussion with the woman at the well who's been married five different times and the man that she's with now is not her husband. Jesus is in discussion with this woman because this is the kind of person that Jesus came to save. 
it makes sense of why he would call a former tax collector to turn and be one of his apostles in Matthew chapter 9 as he says, Matthew, come and follow me. When you realize that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, it makes sense of his discussion with the Pharisee in his Simon's house in Luke chapter 7 when he says, this woman whose sins are many are forgiven because of her response to me. And it makes sense of why he would look out over all of the Jews in the first century and find a Jewish terrorist named Saul of Tarsus and say, I want you to be the apostle to the Gentiles. It's because Jesus came to seek and to save individuals that were lost. Now, people that thought that they were already cleaned up, people that thought their lives were already set and they had everything figured out, this really didn't benefit them. And so sometimes Jesus is in discussion with the Pharisees and they don't appreciate that seeking and saving the lost included them. Though their sins might have been quieter than their contemporaries, they needed a savior just as much as anybody else. And so Jesus came for them too. He would say, I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Maybe you've applied for a job before. You saw the job listing, you saw how much they paid, what the workload would require, and you applied for the job because you wanted the job. And you get some response back that says, you're overqualified. Too much education, too skilled, maybe too advanced for this position. I know you want this job, but the individuals that are doing the interviewing, the people that are responsible for doing the hiring, they say, this is just beyond you. You can't work in this position. You're overqualified. When Jesus comes to seek and save the lost, he has never met anybody who's overqualified. Jesus never runs into anybody and he says, well, this just isn't for you. You're far too righteous. You've already got your act together. Now, people think that all the time. They think that their lives are pretty okay. They're in decent shape. And what Jesus tries to communicate is this. You're worse off than you could ever imagine. And at the same time, more loved than you could ever fathom. There's none righteous. No, not one. I've come to seek and save the lost. That means you and that means me. We've never met anybody that's not on heaven's most wanted list because Jesus came to save everybody. Sometimes I go out to check the mail and like you, if there are no bills there, that's a day of rejoicing. That's good enough. But there may be coupons and various things and often with those coupons at the top, there are these missing children. And sometimes they have these age progressions where they'll say, this person was missing at this age and they're probably around this age now. It's run by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And if you go on their website, their motto is, we never leave a child behind. It doesn't matter how much time it's been. It could have been 50 years ago, 30 years ago, they never stopped looking. When I get that material, I'm often thinking, well, nothing here for me. I call it junk mail. That's what I call it. And I ball it up and I trash it and throw it aside. But to somebody... It matters to somebody. It's not junk mail. They're hoping that somebody finds it, that somebody says, I've seen her. I've seen him. Don't give up is their motto. And they're hoping that somebody sees it and it makes a difference. When Jesus came to earth, he looks at your life. He looks at mine. He says, you're not junk mail. I know the world would toss you aside. The world would say, you've sinned. You've broken my law. You've thought things you shouldn't. You've said and done things that are unrighteous, but you've got value. You mean something to God. And so I've come to seek and save you, to restore you, to help you so that you might be saved. He came to do both. You might be able to seek an individual that's lost, but if you find them, what can you do? Jesus came to seek, and then the Bible says that Jesus came to save. He can actually save individuals and rescue us. That's what he does by his blood. The Bible says Jesus came. One of the reasons why he came was to seek individuals that were lost, and then when he finds us, by his blood and by his sacrifice, he saves us. Now, here's number three. Turn your Bible to John chapter 10. 
John chapter 10 and verse 10 is the verse Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Number three, why did our Savior come to earth? Jesus says, I've come to give the abundant life. Jesus came to preach. He did. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. But number three, Jesus came so that we might have life and that we might have it in an abundant fashion. Now, here's what we often do with John chapter 10 and what I want us to sort of make sure we guard against. We often fast forward what Jesus says in verse 10 about the abundant life, and we may equate that with the eternal life, and that's fine. The Bible says that's one of his promises. This is the promise that he's promised us, even eternal life, 1 John 2 and verse 25. But appreciate when we read about eternal life in the New Testament, there is a dual aspect. Eternal life is both a duration of life and a quality of life. That is to say, you and I will live forever with God when this life comes to its conclusion. In the eschaton, at the culmination, consummation of all things, we will be with God. That's eternal life. But there also is a quality of life that you and I enjoy now as Christians. And Jesus says, we can have it right now. We must have it right now if we're his disciples. He told his disciples on one occasion, there is no one that has left father or brothers or sisters or land for my sake who won't receive 100-fold now in this life with persecutions and in the world to come, eternal life. This isn't surprising to find this statement from Jesus in John 10 and verse 10 because he's so often, especially in the gospel of John, equated with life itself. In him was life and the life was the light of men, John 1 and verse 4. To believe on Jesus is to have everlasting life, John 3, 15 and 16. The words I speak to you are life, John 6 and verse 63. If you believe on me, Jesus says, you pass from death to life, John 5 and verse 24. He actually calls himself the bread of life in John 6 and verse 48. Jesus and life go hand in hand. He says, I've come so that you might have the abundant life. And guess what, Christians? That means right now. That means right now. Now, what it doesn't mean is that we're problem-free. What it doesn't mean is that we won't ever receive a bad report from the doctors or financial calamity won't ever enter into our lives just because we're Christians. But what it does mean is this. None of those things can ultimately disrupt, disrupt the quality of the lives we have with Jesus or rupture our relationship that we have with God because that's what counts the most. And Jesus says you have it in a rich, a rich fashion unknown to the world. Turn your Bible to 1 John chapter 5 and appreciate John reiterates this decades later as he talks about the eternal life that we have right now in the present. 1 John 5 and verse 13, John says, These things have I written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you, we sometimes think this is future only, but John says that you may know that you have eternal life and that you might keep believing on the name of the Son of God. Don't you see the New Testament is saying, you have it now. If you're a Christian, you have it right now. Oh, it's coming in its fullest sense at the end of this life. But if I'm a Christian, what this means is this. Jesus didn't just come so that we can merely push through this life, and then when we die, we go to heaven. If I'm a Christian, it doesn't mean that, well, I have to hate my life now until finally we get to heaven and hear well done. In fact, if we're Christians, we can't. That means our life should be characterized by more joy, more contentment, more happiness than anybody else in the world. Because Jesus always delivers what he promises, doesn't he? And so if he says he's come that we might have the abundant life, the question for you, the question for me is this, do we have it? We can back up a step and say, did we have it in 2020? 
where we complain and where we as bothered and discontent as everybody else in the world, surely we were affected. No doubt about that. But Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. It doesn't matter what happens in the world. Your lives are richer because you've come to know me in the greatest sense there is. The abundant life helps people to rejoice even when persecuted. Ask Peter and John. They're beat. They leave the presence of the, the Sanhedrin and they go rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. The abundant life allows an individual to sing in prison, even with his feet fastened in the stocks, as Paul and Silas, Acts 16, 25. The abundant life says there is nothing that can happen to me on this side of heaven that can change God's view about me, and his eyes are the only eyes that really matter. Jesus says, I've come to give you a better quality of life. I've come that your life may be abundant and rich, and you can have it and you can receive it. When people look at you, when they look at me, when they interact with us, the question that needs to be answered is this. Do our lives reflect that richness? Do we look like people who have spent time with God and our lives are different and better because of it? We didn't know what influencers were a few decades ago, but we do now. An influencer is somebody that mainly makes their income. You can make from thirty dollars to $100,000 just by being an Internet influencer. That is, people believe that you have a special niche of some kind, you have an expertise in a certain field, and if you recommend a product or a brand, people will just buy into it because of you, and there's money to be made in this regard. Kylie Jenner is probably the richest influencer in the world right now. She, makes, she can make up to a million dollars per sponsored share on social media just by sharing something and backing it because people believe, hey, she has something to say and we, we believe it. And we'll buy into a product just merely based on her recommendation. Jesus wore life so well. He did it so good. He did it for free, by the way. That when people saw Jesus, people that were dejected, people that had lived their whole lives ready to give up, they said, I want to live, and I want to live in a new way. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life, and you can have it in a new fashion. Everything in the world, everybody in the world says, buy this, wear this, go here. We'll make you happy. We'll enrich your lives. And Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me. I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest unto your souls in the life to come, yes. But godliness has what Paul calls the promise of the life that now is, and then eternal life right now. Our lives should be richer. They should be better. Earthly circumstances not removed, but even in the midst, and that's the greatness of what Jesus came to do, not to take us out of this world but to say you can smile in the storm. More than that, you can sing and dance in the rain. Not literally, of course, but you can because of what Jesus came to do. This word abundant in John 10 and verse 10 means to overflow. It is to say wherever the marker is, Jesus says, I've come to let it go beyond that. It's what David meant in Psalm 23, 5, our cup runs over. It's the peace that Paul says surpasses understanding. God doesn't just give you and me enough fuel to make it from day to day. The Bible describes him as the overflowing, abundant God. How much do you need? God will give more. Jesus says, I've come not just to give life, but to give it in an abundant fashion in the way that you've never seen it before. It is richer in quality and longer lasting in duration. And he invites us to partake of it. Now, here's number four. Go to Matthew chapter 20. Why did my Savior come to earth? The the Bible says our Savior came to earth to serve. 
Jesus' disciples were a lot like us. They were always arguing about who was better and who was more talented, and they were always wanting to know who was going to get the next seat and a prominent position. And in Matthew 20 and verse 27, Jesus encourages them to be ministers, to be servants, to put others above themselves. And then in verse 28, he says, even as the Son of Man came not to be served. And here's another purpose statement. Jesus says he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. By this point in the lesson, I think we all can appreciate that Jesus didn't come for himself. Jesus came on behalf of other people. He came on behalf of you and me. He never did one miracle for his own benefit, not one. Everything that Jesus ever did, he did it for the benefit of other people. He did it for the benefit of humanity. When he was hungered and the devil said, you can make these stones into bread, Jesus didn't budge. Jesus didn't come to earth to gain one thing that he didn't already possess. In John 17, he prays and he says, I enjoy glory with you, the Father, before the world was. He didn't come to gain anything for himself. He came merely to give. He set a pattern for his disciples where he says, I'm coming to teach you how to serve and to give my life a ransom for many so that you might know what true service is all about. This word for ransom, it's only found twice in the New Testament here and in the parallel passage in Mark 10 and verse 45. And it carries this idea of setting captives free, people that are in bondage. And this idea of a ransom is the agreed upon wage whereby people that were formerly in bondage can now be released and their debt fully paid. Who the son sets free is free indeed, John 8 and verse 36. And maybe you've, you've watched the movies like me and sometimes there's this bank robbery and the first thing that the bank robbers want is what? They want pizza and then after the pizza they want a ransom money. They want money paid. They say, we've got hostages, and we won't let them go until you pay X amount of dollars. This is how much it costs. And when you and I read scripture, we're enslaved and entrapped to sin. And there's only one price that can be paid to set us free, to ransom us, as it were, and that's the blood of the sinless Son of God. Almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Hebrews 9.22. Jesus says, this is my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Matthew 26 and verse 28. Jesus came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Sometimes we say this, well, Jesus came to serve to give us an example on how to serve. And that's right. But Jesus also came to serve, quite frankly, because you and I, we just needed help. Read how many times in the Gospels people come to Jesus, and that's just their cry. Lord, will you just help me? Mark 9, 22. That father, his son is the epileptic, and he's thrown in and out of fire and water, and he just has that one request, Lord, would you help me? And Jesus did. The woman in Matthew 15, she comes, and she comes pulling and tugging on Jesus' garment. Mark, Matthew 15, 24, her cry is parallel to that father, and she says, Lord, would you help me? And that was the cry of humanity. It's still the cry of humanity, though people don't know it. And though they may reach out to drugs and alcohol and pornography and various things, what the world is crying out, what the human soul is crying out, though we pour all of the world's resources inside hoping that it would answer the cry, our cry is the same as those almost 2,000 years ago. Lord, would you help me? The Son of Man came so that he might serve, and then he gives his life as a ransom for many. If we're going to be like Jesus, our lives have to be filled with service. Our lives need to be different. 
Our lives need to be changed and transformed because of what Jesus did on our behalf. He gives his life as a ransom for many to save us from sin. And then it should change our relationship to sin. You see, just because we become Christians, I realize just because I'm through with sin doesn't mean sin's through with me, but we have to fight against it. Jesus gives his life as a ransom, and his life will not be wasted in your life and in mine if we're transformed and if we desire to live new. The sacrifice of Jesus doesn't remove the possibility of sin, but it must remove its enjoyment on my behalf. You can think about it this way. You can drink orange juice in the afternoon, or you can drink orange juice after you've brushed your teeth. And if you drink orange juice after you brush your teeth, well, it's the same juice, but what? It just tastes different, right? Your palate's different. It just doesn't go down the same. And I've sinned before I became a Christian. But you see, after the blood of Christ, after what Jesus has done, when I sinned, he gave his life as a ransom to rescue me. I cannot go to the prison walls of sin and beat down the doors and ask for reentry. My palate's different. When we sin, when we transgress, when we violate God's law, there's got to be a difference. There has to be a response in us that says, Jesus came to free me, and I'm reattaching the shackles. I'm reattaching the bracelets of sin, and I want to go in a new way, in a new direction, because the Son of God came to set me free. My life should be poured out into the service of others. Jesus didn't come for himself, and so we must not, in turn, selfishly live for ourselves. Now, here's number five. Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. Turn your Bible to John 18. In John 18, Jesus is on trial, and you can't really even call it a trial because their minds are already made up, and Pilate is so fickle and wishy-washy that he's just going to go along with what the people want. And so he asked Jesus several times, are you a king in John 18? And then in verse 35, he says, what have you done? And Jesus tells him, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, verse 36, then would my servants fight that I wouldn't be delivered to you. But now my kingdom's not from here. And in verse 37, Pilate says, are you a king then? And Jesus says, for this cause was I born. And for this cause was I sent forth that I might bear witness of the truth. Everyone that's of the truth, here's my voice. That's number five. Did you catch the purpose statement? Jesus says, for this cause was I born, and this is why I came forth, to bear witness of the truth, to testify of the truth. Jesus came to earth to show us what truth looks like dressed up in flesh and bones. For centuries, I imagine Jews, men and women, had wondered. You know, in the 1990s, there was this guy, denominational youth pastor. He was the man that came up with the idea for those bracelets, WWJD, and he did it to help his youth group remember why Jesus came. But what if, what if the bracelets are unnecessary? What if we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John right here, and Jesus is saying, hey, this is why I came. People had wondered for centuries, you might imagine, if God were in my situation, if God were in my shoes, and he had to make these daily decisions, I wonder what he would decide. We've got the law of Moses, but everybody has their interpretation of the law. How do I make the right choice, and how can I be assured? Jesus says, you won't have those questions anymore. I've come to bear witness of the truth, to fill the gap, so that you might know what God would do. We don't have to wonder what would Jesus do. Just look at what Jesus did. Jesus and truth, just like Jesus in life, they go hand in hand. The law was given by Moses. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, John 1, 17. He told his disciples, I tell you the truth. By the way, he always did. John 16 and verse 7. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14 and verse 6. Jesus came to bear witness of the truth, 
because that's what his life was really all about. The truth that we all desperately needed to hear, and that is, we are sinners in need of a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. He's come to ransom us and redeem us. And the truth that as we allow our faith to cooperate with the grace of God that's extended that none of us deserve, we can be saved from everything we've ever done. And we can live with our heads held high. We can look into the mirror of life with no regrets as Christians and say, I'm forgiven by God. And I want to help other people to come to know that same forgiveness and freedom. Jesus came to bear witness of the truth. And if we're his disciples, we need to do the same thing. You see, a place can have outside Burger King, right, outside of the window. But if you go inside and they don't sell burgers and french fries, a place might have Bass Pro on the outside. And when you go inside, what you hope to find is fishing and hunting gear. That's what they said outside on the sign. And a building could have on the outside the church that belongs to Jesus Christ, the church of Christ. But if you come inside and if things aren't done by the scriptures and if we don't love one another as we should, if we're not as involved and interested in saving souls as Jesus was, we don't bear witness to the truth that we claim to promote. If I wear the name Christian and my life does not reflect that of Jesus Christ, I'm not sinless, but I'm running in the direction of righteousness. Though I adorn that title, I don't really bear witness to the truth. When Jesus said, I am the Son of God, he not only claimed to be, but he lived up to those claims. Not a contradiction on his lips or in his life. Everything that he ever did was in consistency with what he claimed. And he said, Pilate, he was staring right in front of Pilate, and Pilate says in verse 38, what is truth? He missed it. Jesus' enemies, their problem was they were not as in love with truth as they claimed. They were more in love with their version of it. And as we and our sin collide with the sinless Savior, we'll figure out how serious we are about truth. And if we really just want to live in our own comfortable, predetermined ways, or if we really want God to wreck our lives in the best way so that it might come into conformity with his will, and as Jesus said in John 8, 32, the truth will liberate us and set us free. We've sung that song for a long time. Why did my Savior come to earth? And Jesus says several times in the Gospels exactly why he came. In summary, Jesus came for us. He came to preach. He came to seek and save those that are lost, and that's all of accountable humanity. He came to serve, give his life a ransom for many, to bear witness of the truth, and give the rich and abundant life both now and in the life to come. And that's good news worth sharing with the world. Maybe tonight you are not a Christian, and maybe you don't know the abundant life that Jesus has offered and laid down his life so that you might enjoy. The truth is, Heaven came across the clouds for you. Jesus loves you more than you could ever imagine. You must believe Jesus is the Son of God, that he really is who he claimed to be and who the New Testament proves that he is. Be willing to turn away from your sins. Confess what heaven confessed at his baptism and at the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my Son, the Son of God, in whom I'm well pleased. And be immersed in water to have your sins forgiven. When Jesus came out of the waters of baptism, God said, This is my Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And when you and I come out of the waters of baptism, heaven says the same thing. This is my son. This is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And they listen to me. May we be those that bear witness to the truth. May our lives reflect with our, what our mouths profess, that we really do believe he's the son of God. May we seek and save the lost and be about what he would have us to be. Maybe you're broken tonight. Maybe you're struggling. Jesus came to bind the wounds of the broken, to encourage the brokenhearted. 
If this is your invitation, if we can help you in any way, come as together we stand and as we sing.